here's something to bear in mind. Your story can surprise you. One of the most fun things about being a writer is that in the process of writing a book, your characters will sometimes take you by surprise and go in a completely different direction. Their hero's journey may alter drastically from what you originally envisioned because you see new possibilities opening up and new challenges that may make them stronger and, and, and more leveled and more real. So don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid if you do your Nine of Arc that later on you deviate from that because the character says, hey, look at me. I think I can do better with this. Trust that because that is where the gold lies. Don't be afraid to trust your character. Don't be afraid to let them show you where they're going. Trust your imagination and write from the heart. That's the way I do it. Welcome back to Legacy. I'm Helena Drago. Just a quick recap of what this podcast is all about. My husband, Ty Drago, is collaborating on a book with his deceased father, Tony. We are providing some thoughts on how to write a novel using Tony and Ty's story in the rough to illustrate some writing tips. Today's episode is about writing your hero's journey, your protagonist's journey. The main protagonist in Ty's book is Peter Donatello. In previous episodes of our podcast, Peter was presented as a kind, thoughtful, and morally centered man, and, in my opinion, a bit two-dimensional, too much of a goody-two-shoes. The story you're about to hear, told by Tony, is the first glimpse I've seen of Peter being something less than a Boy Scout, which I think makes Peter more interesting, more relatable. Here's Tony. The Philadelphia Sugar Company started hiring extra men to ride shotgun. Peter got himself a job riding with Tom Italiano. It was only a few weeks later that Peter had the opportunity to fully earn his pay. And one day, in broad daylight, two men in a car tried to hijack the truck by pointing pistols at them while both vehicles were moving. And Peter told Tom to slow down. And as the car moved past him, he gave them both barrels and killed both hijackers. When the news got out, he was receiving congratulations from the company, other drivers, and the police. But none of this made Peter very happy. For the first time in his life, he found out how easy you could kill another human being, and he could see nothing about it to be proud of. I know we've talked about this in earlier episodes, but remind me, what makes a good protagonist? A good protagonist, in my mind, is defined by his or her goal. If you have a goal that the reader can relate to, can appreciate, can become invested in, then that's the beginning of a good protagonist, and you build from there. Uh, let me think of a good example. Who's relatable, who's likable, someone you can root for. And a good example is the character of Pi, who's the titular character. In, uh, He's the what? The titular character. Come on, you're making these words No, up. I'm not. And what does that mean? The title character. The, the character mentioned in the title is the titular character. Come, I'm going to look that up. 
Anyway. Anyway. Um, Pi is the titular character in Life of Pi, the book by Ian Martell, which is my, one of my favorite books. Pi is a teenage boy from India who finds himself orphaned and shipwrecked on the open ocean in a lifeboat that he's sharing with a 450-pound Bengal tiger named Richard Parker. He is the protagonist of this story, and he has a very simple and easily relatable goal. He wants to survive. Interestingly, the antagonist in that book is not the tiger. The tiger actually turns out to be an ally of sorts, a motivational ally. But the, the antagonist in that story is, of course, the sea and the challenges that it presents in trying to prevent Pi from achieving his goal. So we've named this the hero's journey, but we kind of misnamed it. It's really the protagonist's journey. That's absolutely true. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so tell me about what is the hero's journey then, the protagonist's journey? The protagonist's journey is the path that your protagonist takes to achieve or fail to achieve his or her goal. The, the type of path varies depending on the genre of book you're writing and the type of book you're writing. For example, if you're writing a series book, uh, an open-ended series like Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, the stories are plot-driven more than character-driven. They're not The hero's journey is not so much about the character advancing as a human being as much as they are about the character that readers become familiar with and fond of solving some problem, some plot-based problem. The beginning of the book puts a mystery in front of them or puts a, a villain in front of them to be defeated, and that becomes the goal. The other kind is character-driven. Uh, the book I'm writing has a more character-driven hero's journey because it, when Peter starts off on his hero's journey, his goal is to become American. He has no clear idea of what that even means. He has to discover that along the way. How is a plot-driven protagonist different from a character-driven protagonist? They both have goals. In most cases, a character-driven protagonist grows and changes by the time he achieves or fails to achieve his goal. In most plot-driven stories, it's about how the protagonist solves the problem presented to him. Detective is solving a murder because it's his job, and he solves the mystery, and th that is the goal he's trying to achieve. And he does not come out the other end of that generally much changed. So Hercule Poirot is pretty much always Hercule Poirot, whatever book you're reading from Agatha Christie that includes him as a detective. Absolutely. Although, I feel inclined to point out, as he would, that it's Poirot. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> All right, so plot-driven versus character-driven, but what makes them good protagonists? What is it about Hercule Poirot that makes him such a great protagonist? Well, there's all different things, depending on the book and the character you're creating. You're creating a likable character. Hercule Poirot is fun because he's brilliant and amusingly arrogant, and it's just fun to watch him be the smartest person in the room and figure these things out. In Lee Child's adventure series, featuring the recurring character of Jack Reacher, Jack Reacher is a drifter and a former army military policeman who goes from place to place more or less aimlessly and stumbles into these troubling situations, which, because of his innate sense of justice, he sets out to fix. He is not drastically changed by the end of each adventure. He usually just goes on. So what makes him good, though? Why do people like Jack Reacher? I mean, he's a hugely popular protagonist. Why is he hugely popular? <laughs> Go ahead, say it. <laughs> this is going to sound awfully cliche. Women want and men want to be. But it's true. <laughs> 
Jack Reacher is enormous. He's strong. He's resourceful. He's smart. He is always on top of the situation. He's always doing the right thing, regardless of what the law says. I think there's even more to it. I know what I like about Jack Reacher, and I know what I like about Hercule Poirot, and that's they're, they're quirky. I like the little quirks that the author gives them, you know, that Jack Reacher knows numbers and he likes coffee and he walks around carrying a toothbrush in his pocket. Hercule Poirot has that crazy mustache that he's incredibly proud of that um, makes him just a little interesting. Yes, adding little things like that to your protagonist um, to give them life, to make them more... Human. Human. And by more making them more human, you make them what? Relatable. Relatable. We have Peter. What is it about Peter that you're going to make that is relatable and likable and someone you can root for? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling with that right now. I'm kind of figuring out who Peter is. I'm 80,000 words in, 85,000 words in. But I'm still trying to figure out that little spark that will bring Peter to life. The goal of Peter's protagonist's journey is to become American. Peter does not know throughout most of the book what that even means. He's feeling his way through it, one day at a time, the way the rest of us are, trying to live by a moral code that he set up for himself, and everything keeps getting in his way. He suffers through sometimes terrible prejudice because he's an immigrant and he's seen by the locals as stealing jobs. He runs into trouble with his brother John, who wants him to take a much darker path than Peter's willing to walk. And he's trying to reconcile the fact, because he does become a career criminal, but he becomes a career criminal at a time where it was a kind of civil disobedience that was, in the minds of many Americans, perfectly legitimate. And he's trying to reconcile that with what it would mean to become truly American. One of the key things about the clip we played is that that clip, while it's not what starts Peter off on his journey, it is a major changing point for him. It is where he reaches a moral crossroads and realizes I can never cross that line again. Peter, he is placed in a position where he is forced to kill two men under circumstances that nearly everyone around him calls not only justifiable, but commendable. And the taking of those lives has a powerful effect on Peter going forward. Peter's going to end up a bootlegger. Peter's going to end up a, a professional criminal. But over the course of his dealings, he's going to do everything he can. He's going to refuse to take further lives in a business where that's not easy to do. And that's going to be a part, just a part of his protagonist's journey. That sense of honor is going to get in his way and it's going to cause him problems, especially with his brother, John. And it's something that will color his actions throughout the remainder of the book. And it is a big step in my mind toward him achieving his goal of becoming American. So another important aspect of him becoming American is the romance that your father alludes to between him and Sarah. And in fact, we have a clip of that. Yes, I know that clip. I know the clip of which you speak. Let's play it. Over the years, Peter had still been seeing Sarah for his education. Sarah also made a point on nice days to have a picnic basket and she would do her teaching in the park while serving picnic lunches. And one day she said, Peter, you have done well on your education and I think it would be a good idea if you started taking specialty courses. 
to get into a business field. I would recommend real estate and insurance. I think with your connections in the Italian district, you could do very well. And Peter said, it sounds very interesting to me. Let me think about it. She said, I think it's time that you and I had a personal talk about us. There was a time when I had too much education for you, but that time is long past. And I know in my heart that you feel as I do. And the only difference is that you're Italian and I'm Irish. That doesn't mean one damn thing to me. And I think it is time that you and I started looking at each other differently. He said, when and if I can get into a legitimate business, we can talk about this. But as you know, I'm a bootlegger. I do not want you involved. He said, I'm more interested in who you are and what you are as a man than the type of business you're in. He said, I can never consider marriage as long as I am in this business. She replied, then start taking the courses in real estate and insurance because I can't wait that much more. And she leaned over and gave him his first kiss. Alright, what do you think of that scene? Dad, I apologize, but that scene could be listed in a book on writing under Don't Let This Happen to You. It is clinical and flat and emotionless and as nuts and bolts as a manual for putting together stereo equipment. That is not the way that scene will be written when I write it. So how do you spice up, without being erotic, how do you make a romantic scene something that people are moved by? You make a romantic scene by not what the characters do or say, but by what they're feeling. Every person who steps into a scene like that one is gripped by insecurity, uncertainty, and no small amount of fear. Everyone fears rejection. Sarah puts herself out there in a way that women in her day did not generally do. But that's Sarah. Sarah's a hero in her own right. That scene should be told through Sarah's eyes and from Sarah's heart with all the trepidation and all the nervousness and all the love that's behind it and the desperation to hear him say it back. That's the way I'm going to write it when the time comes. All right, that will be an improvement. <laughs> How do you write a protagonist's journey? How does an author do that? Again, it depends on the kind of book. My kind of book being a saga that's character driven, I have to put moral dilemmas in his path. All protagonist journeys start with a seminal moment. In Peter's case, it's when he's forced to leave Sicily. That's what starts him on his path. But the, the way you write it going forward depends on the type of book you're writing and whether or not you're writing something that's character-driven or plot-driven. What character-driven or plot-driven decide are the obstacles that you place in your hero's path as he tries to achieve his goal. So let's start with the plot-driven. So we have a detective, uh, a mystery. All right, Hercule Poirot, his hero's journey is to solve a murder mystery. The obstacles in his path are the lack of clues, the alibis of the suspects, who's lying to him, who's telling him the truth. The plot-driven book, those obstacles are plot-based obstacles. They're not personal. They're related to the problem to be solved. So like in a Jack Reacher novel, it's in every single novel, a crowd of men, three or four, that are ready to beat him up. 
Exactly. He shows off his strength by kicking. giving their butts a good kicking. kicking. Oh, we said it together. <laughs> that's the kind of thing. All of that's plot driven. All of that's presented because it's related to the problem, not the character, not the protagonist. I think I'm going to disagree with you. Because the fact that five men are coming to beat up Jack Reacher, only Jack Reacher could beat up five men. So it is definitely based on his character that that is happening. And Hercule Poirot is only doing what he's doing because of his character. These obstacles are playing to the strengths of the character. That's not the same thing as character-driven. Jack Reacher faces five guys and they try to beat him up. Jack Reacher comes away from that unchanged. He might have a little bit more information about the problem than he did because of who beat him up. Oh, I recognize you. You're the foreman from that factory. Okay, the factory's involved somehow. But he's still Jack Reacher. He hasn't changed one iota. Right. What I'm saying is the obstacles as being presented to that character speaks to his strengths. Five people trying to beat up Jack. It would not be good if it was, you know, five people trying to beat up Hercule Poirot because Hercule would not last. You know who your protagonists are. The obstacles that are placed in front of him speak to that character's strength. And plot-driven books? Yeah. I think I see where you're going with this. It's an interesting point of view. I never thought about it that way. I guess you could make the argument that in a plot-driven story, the obstacles that are presented to the protagonist, as you say, play to his strengths. In a character-driven story, you want to play to the character's weaknesses. You want to present them with opportunities to grow, to change, to evolve. So you put moral dilemmas in front of them. There may be some violence involved. There may be suspense involved. There may be action involved. All that's fine. It's couched in such a way that our hero comes out of it a little bit changed and a little bit further along his path, in Peter's case, to becoming American, to achieving some character-based goal. Does that make sense? It does. Any wise words to wrap it all up? Writing your protagonist is a complicated and very intimate process. You get to know your creation very, very well. The challenge lies in finding poignant and entertaining ways to demonstrate how much you've learned of your character to your reader so that your reader gets to know them almost as well as you do. And that's where the challenge lies. I think today we are going to give the last word to Tony. Listen in as Tony tells another story about Peter on his journey. Peter's trying to be less violent in his world of criminals and shysters, and as you will hear, he doesn't quite manage it. Mr. Meters advised him that he still owed him $200. Peter said, there must be a misunderstanding. You told me it would cost me 300 and I gave you 300 cash. Mr. Meter said yes, and you also signed a contract for 500 Peter said, you handed me a piece of paper to sign, and I signed it, and I assumed as a gentleman you were going to fill it in for $300. And Mr. Meter said, say what you will. I have a contract for 500 Now, if you want me to sue you to get it, I'll do that. Peter was livid, but he said, it will not be necessary. I will be back with your 200 He went down to the car and returned almost immediately. Peter said, I have my lawyer with me. And 
Mr. Meter said, where is he? And Peter drew a 38 and said, here's my lawyer. Mr. Meter raised his hands into the air and his chair went back. And Peter said, I want a receipt for 500 now. And with the gun still at his head, Mr. Meter wrote him out a receipt. Peter put the barrel inside Mr. Meter's mouth and said, now I want to see your wallet. Mr. Meter handed him his wallet, and Peter opened it up, counted the contents, which amounted to $242. And he said, you're a pig. You tried to cheat me out of 200 so I cheated you out of $242. That makes us even. He said, I'm going to leave here, and if I get into any trouble because of this incident, whether I'm in jail or not, you will not survive the weekend. Do you understand me? And he nodded his head. Peter slipped the gun from his mouth and walked out the door. And when he next saw John together with Angelo, Peter handed them $81 each and told them it was a refund from the attorney. John took the money and thought a moment, suddenly said, he tried to hold you up, didn't and this is the interest. And Peter nodded. And John burst out laughing with that cynical, crazy laugh of his. And then said, Peter, as hard as you try to be an American, you'll always be a Sicilian. And Peter said, to the death, but I'll also be an American. And John just burst out laughing again. Legacy is written and produced by Ty and Helena Drago. If you're enjoying Legacy, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, thanks for listening. The music you're listening to is Bicycle by Kevin McLeod, found at Incomputech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License http backslash backslash creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0 backslash